Here I am in Florida on my last day at the beach, and I am enjoying the sun and the weather as I'm working on putting together this podcast episode where I interview Roger Belair. And he is somebody who just reminded me of how fortunate I am to live my life and also be able to play pickleball. He has such an interesting story because he has been bringing pickleball to people in prison. Now I have to warn you, this episode is very compelling between the story and the fact that Roger is an excellent speaker. Also, he talks about his relationship with one of the pickleball founders, Barney McCullum. So let's get to the intro to hear from Roger. Welcome to the Pickleball Fire podcast, where it's all about pickleball. Today, I would like to welcome to the Pickleball Fire podcast, Roger Belair. How are you doing today, Roger? Lynn, I'm doing great, and it's good to talk to you. I'm looking forward to this podcast. All right. Well, me too. You've got some interesting things I know that we're going to be talking about today. So I want to jump right in and find out how you ever heard about pickleball and got started in the game and how long ago that was. Well, I'm from Seattle. And of course, pickleball was invented over on Bainbridge Island. So I've heard about it for many years, just kind of off and on pickleball, whatever that is. And about 10 years ago, they introduced it at the rec center that I go to. And so I tried it. And like so many other people, I just fell in love with the game. So I've been playing ever since. All right. Now, I understand that along the way, you had the chance to meet one of the founders of the game. Boy, was that exciting. Yes, I first met uh, David McCollum, and he took over Pickleball Inc., which was a company. He's a son of Barney McCollum, and he took over Pickleball Inc., which was a company formed in 1972 to promote the game. And But it was by Joe Pritchard and, of course, everybody know Bill Bell and Barney McComb. So they each threw 500 bucks into a hat, and they started the company to sell some paddles, promote the game. And David and I got to be friends, and he says, I bet you'd like to meet my dad. And I said, of course. So he says he set up a lunch, and I went down, and I met Barney. And sometimes you just really hit it off. Barney was a real character. And he either liked you or he didn't. Well, he was really intrigued with some of the things I was doing, particularly as it relates to prisons that we'll talk about later. So I went down to see him on a regular basis. But it was just wonderful to get to know this terrific man. Um, What a character. And uh, I treasure the time I spent with him. Now, I would imagine having that great friendship with one of the founders of the game you must have some inside scoop on pickleball and why it was probably initially slow to take off. And then all of a sudden has grown so rapidly in recent years. Well, I do. And we spent a lot of time talking about that. And not only do I know Barney and his son, but, you know, Carol, who who has owns Joel's Pritchard's uh, property these days. As a matter of fact, she, she was over during the Christmas uh, season for dinner. And it was, it was just fascinating because everybody kind of knows how it started because of they couldn't find the birdies. And so they set up the badminton net. And then what happened was Dickie Green's walking down the street with a wiffle ball and they take that. But Barney and Joel felt they really had a winner that could go big time. And so they really worked hard at marketing it 
but not much happened when they would go to trade shows, they approached Spalding and Wilson. And really the feedback was, hey, at the time you got a four or $5 paddle wood, made out of wood, you got a 50 cent ball. And the companies kind of said, there's no money to be made here. We'd, we'd rather sell tennis shoes. And so it just kind of carried on during the 70s, 80s, 90s, up until 2000. And those that were playing it loved it, absolutely loved it. But it did not have that much activity. Matter of fact, here's an interesting statistic. In, 19, in 2003, we believe there was 39 known public places to play around the country. But also what happened around that time is baby boomers started retiring, particularly to Florida and Arizona. And many of those were seasonal people that would go down there for the season. They loved the game. And then they came up north. Well, what's happened since 2003? It's absolutely exploded. But that's kind of the history of what happened and why. Wow, I cannot believe that. In 2003, there were only 39 places to play. But one of the questions I wanted to public ask. Places. Yeah, but public places. There's private places. Now, one of the things I wanted to ask you was, did you ever get a chance to play on one of the original courts there on Bainbridge Island? Well, of course, there is only one original court. And I have played there. Matter of fact, I played with Jennifer LaCour, who you recognize that name and Alex, because they're national champions. And we went over there. Barney was there. We just had a great time. And uh, so I've been over there more than once. But and quite, well, it's, it's quite an experience. And you see how some things evolve. For example, the originally, you could step onto the court when you served. And the reason was for that was a couple of things. First of all, Joe and Barney said, well, the closer you are to the net, it's actually easier, even though it's only a couple of feet. So that was one reason. But also another reason was on that court right at the baseline is a great big madrona tree. And it was hard to stand off the court and serve. So that's part of the reason why you could step onto the court when you serve. Now, I think it was in 1995 that they changed that rule. So you had to strike the ball behind the baseline. But little tidbits like that are, are really kind of fun to know and how it came about. That is very interesting history. And I've talked to one other person on the podcast who, again, went, went with Jennifer LaCour to that original court and had a chance to play. So I appreciate the, the story and the background. Now, one of the other things that I wanted to talk about on the podcast, and you alluded to it earlier, is you've done a fair amount of work teaching pickleball at prisons. How did you, how and where did you get started doing that? Well, my background, I, I wrote a couple of books and those evolved into a speaking career where I would speak at conventions. And I quickly learned that it's easier to find a new audience than it is, an, is a new speech. So I would speak at conventions. And then what was happening is because of that experience, it felt real natural for me to start teaching pickleball because I loved it so much. So I was teaching locally the game. And this was about six years ago, five years ago. And one night when what happens is my wife and I watch 60 minutes. Oh, well, many nights we watch 60 minutes, but they had a segment on Chicago and Cook County Jail 
And the challenges that a gentleman by the name of Sheriff Tom Dart has in trying to run this place. I mean, they have, well, there may be a standing population of like 7,000. They might have 70,000 that flow through there every year. I mean, it's a real challenge. They have more, Chicago's located in Cook County. They have more homicides in Cook County than New York City and LA combined. So we're watching this and I'm watching the guys and women on inside and they're sitting around playing cards, um, talking, not doing much. And I said to my wife, I said, they should be playing pickleball. They not only would get the benefits of exercise, but they also could learn life skills like learning from mistakes, thinking about consequences, how to become a better teammate. And I said to her, I said, I'm going to write Sheriff Dart a letter and tell him exactly what I think. A matter of fact, I'll even go back there and teach the game to those people. Now, my wife has a media background and she looked at me and she said, maybe that's not a good idea. He's a very busy guy. He gets a lot of letters from different people. He's probably not interested in pickleball. Well, then I had to do it. So I wrote a letter. And a month later, I get a response back from Sheriff Tom's Dart's office. And here's kind of the backstory on that is he gets his letter and he gets all kinds of letters. He thought it was a joke. Pickleball, he'd never heard of it. But that night over dinner, Lynn, what happened was he happened to mention that I got a letter from a guy in Seattle, something about balls and pickles, never heard of it. His eight-year-old daughter looks at him and says, oh, dad, you're so out of it. I'll tell you about pickleball. And if it hadn't been for his daughter, probably none of this would have ever happened. So after he she said that to her dad, he looked at, he re, did some research. One of the staff members got a hold of me. And I ended up going back there for a week to teach the people on the inside. They're called detainees. They're not inmates yet until they're convicted. They're detainees while they're, they're, they're waiting to go in front of the judge. So that's how this all started. Wow. So what were some of the challenges that you had once you arrived to teach? Boy, where do I start? It's I, I, I come up to the gates and I, I'm dropped off by Uber and I see a sign that says maximum security. And all of a sudden, my heart just kind of went up to my throat because it's one thing about talking about going back to Chicago and Cook County Jail. It's another one to be there. And I look at this sign and I was I looked at it for a long time, maybe 15 seconds, 30 seconds. And at the end of the week, I looked at it again, and I realized just how much I had learned about what life was like on the inside, because I'd never stepped foot inside of a jail before. And I learned a couple things in particular. The first is most of these people on the inside really never had much of a chance in life. They grew up in poverty. They oftentimes had a dysfunctional household. The people that they respected most were generally the older kids in the neighborhood. Well, that's just code for saying gang members. All right. Now, 
when you're involved in a gang, it's an awful lot like being involved in the mafia. You want to move up. You want to impress other people. You get involved in criminal activity. And when that happens, sooner or later, you end up in a place like Cook County Jail. Years ago, I was um, in a meeting with Warren Buffett. And somebody said to Warren, he said, I, I got a question for you, Warren. Why are you so successful? Why you? And Warren thought for a moment and he said, probably more than anything else, I grew, I grew up in an environment and a family that had a certain set of values. And not only that, but then I had mentors who reflected those values. And I think of that often because Warren ended up at one end of our society, and many of the people I was introduced to are at the other end because of how they started out in life. So that was very important. But the other thing that I realized on that day that I left the, the jail and looked at that sign is how much mental illness there is on the inside. And you can tell just by talking to some of these guys that they're just not quite tracking. And I share this story when I speak because I'm doing more and more speaking on this topic at various places around the country. Is It's not appropriate to go up to somebody that's on the inside and say, what are you doing? Um, what crime did you commit? It's maybe, what's a good example? Well, maybe it's a little bit like for us on the outside to go up to somebody and say, how old are you? Some people would tell you the truth. Some people wouldn't. Some people might be offended. Some people wouldn't. But, you know, it's just not the type of thing that we do. But when I teach on the inside, of course, I spend a lot of time sitting on the bench while they're out on the courts. And then I give them some instructions. And I'm talking to this one kid. He's 25 and particularly squared away, he seems, and articulate and bright. And all of a sudden, the words just popped out of my mouth. I said, what the hell are you doing here? What happened? He gave me an honest answer. He looked at me in the eye and said, I'm bipolar. I was off my meds. And I didn't mean to kill him. I think about that conversation often because how many lives were touched by that senseless act? So those were the, the two areas, the kids growing up and mental health is the first thing I realized after I walked out of the, the jail. Wow, that's quite a story. And I, I have to ask, when you bring a sport called pickleball, into a jail like that. I know some just tennis players who don't like to play the game because of the name. What was, what were the detainees reception to you teaching them a sport called pickleball? Initially not good. I went through clearance and they took me into a room and it was kind of like a locker room environment. And there was, about 25 guys in there. And I later learned that there was a body associated with each person in the room, except for me. And when I was told that, I didn't know what that meant. What do you mean a body associated with? 
And, and then he said, Roger, each guy in that room has been charged with murder. You can just imagine the stress, guilty or innocent, if you have been charged with a crime like that and everybody you associate with, your environment, is in the same situation. So I'm introduced. They say something like, Mr. Belair is here to teach us a game of pickleball today. And so I stood up and I thought I'd start by just giving a little background about the game. When it started, it's really easy to learn. It's very popular on the outside. It's the fastest growing sport in the country, et cetera, et cetera. They didn't care. They weren't interested. They wouldn't make eye contact with me. Arms are crossed. They're looking around the room. And I quickly realized that we were completely different. Three particular things. First of all, they're from Chicago. Roger isn't. I'm from Seattle. Completely different. Their world's completely different than mine. Number two is they're all young. I would say that between the ages of 18 and maybe 26 or 27, I'll probably 90% of them. And I'm not, I'm over 70. Okay. The third thing I realize is for them, every single day of their life is a struggle. They never know when violence is going to break out. A place like Rikers Island or San Quentin or Cook County Jail, there's going to be 15 to 20 fights a day. The use of force by guards. Yeah, that's not my life. I'm very fortunate. I'm very blessed. So I guess I wasn't surprised that they had no interest. I didn't know it at the time. I thought I was bringing them a gift. But at that moment, I didn't know what was going to happen next. I didn't know if that night I was going to be on a plane back to Seattle. But I knew whatever I was doing right then wasn't working. So I cut my introduction speech short and says, let's go to the courts. And now you're going to ask me what happened next. Yes, of course I am. <laughs> what happened <Yeah>. next? <laughs> All right. Well, I would imagine it took five minutes. And on the inside, you have what's called what I call the prison strut. Now, I've never heard anybody use that term before, but you've all seen it because when you walk, watch the, the local news, they're bringing some guy into the courtroom and he's handcuffed and he struts like Mr. Tough. You can't hurt me. I'm bulletproof. And that's very common. And you see that all the time in prisons because they're walking from one place to another. And that's the way they were acting. And within five minutes on the court, all that changed. And they turned into, well, I'd say like kids on a playground. It was absolutely amazing, the transformation. And I, and I mean literally five minutes. They, one of the things I say is once they were out on the court, and this is, all, this is also true for all the rest of us, it makes the world go away. Because all you focus on is this little plastic ball and hitting it over the net. You don't think about any problems. You don't think about your grandkids or your dental appointment or anything else. You just think about hitting the ball over the net. Well, in their case, they have much more serious problems than the rest of us. And that's what they were focused on. So they turned into kids and they went from 
having absolutely no interest in anything I had to say to listen to every single word I had to say. That is quite a transformation. Unbelievable. What, what, was there some leaders who got things going in the right direction? Well, you very definitely have leaders on the inside. It's set up an awful lot like the mafia. And what you have is they're called shot callers. And there's very much of a pecking order. But what, so, so, so you have that, but it was universal in the sense of everybody's having a great time. The, the most popular sport on the inside is, uh, is basketball. And, and you can see that why that would be the case, because a lot of these kids grew up playing basketball. But as we know, basketball is dominated by the young, the tall, the athletic, the strong, and everybody else kind of sits on the sidelines. Well, one of the wonderful things about pickleball, both on the inside and also on the out, is anybody can play it and play it competitively. So the shot callers really didn't have that much of an impact of what was happening because everybody was more on somewhat of an equal footing. Interesting. Now, was it just a one-time occurrence where you were teaching them or how long did you end up staying in Chicago? I was there a week and I taught both men and women at different facilities. I've been to Chicago three times. The last time I walked in, it was like Santa Claus walking into a grade school. Everybody stood up and started applauding. Roger's here, everybody. Roger's here. Wow, that, that must feel great. Well, it was. I felt, like I said, it felt like a rock star. But what was fascinating about that third time is there happened to be a reporter there. And sometimes I look at the universe and I say, there's no accidents. And who the reporter was a sports reporter for USA Today. And he was there to cover what you were doing? He was there to write a sports story. All right. So it was for the sports page. And it was going to be a small piece and, and talk about there's this game called pickleball and they're playing a little bit at this jail too. And they took some pictures, of course, and he called me up a couple of days later. And of course, I'm all excited about the piece. And he starts off by saying, Roger, I don't know how to tell you this, but the, the article is not going to run on the sports page. And my heart dropped. I mean, I'm saying what happened through went through my mind is why they kill the story. I thought it was a good story. I don't know why, who didn't like it. Why didn't they like it? And whatever. Because the mind works so fast. And that's what he said to me. And that's what was my initial reaction. And then he goes on to add, the editors, after reading this piece that I wrote up, are so impressed. It's going to be the main feature story on the front page. And it's going to come out on Friday because that's the day that we have our highest circulation. Very cool. I bet you were not expecting that. I was not expecting that. and. And what happens is all you have to do is Google my name and USA Today and, and everybody can read the piece. But I want to point out a couple things about that piece that is worthwhile. Let's see. The, I guess the first thing I really want to emphasize is Jim Edmondson. And he's, I don't know his exact title. He's kind of in charge of athletics back there. And in that piece, what he says is, Disciplinary problems are down. 
guys know that if they get into fights, they don't behave themselves, they can't get out on the court. So they behave themselves because they'd get up at three o'clock in the morning and go out and play pickleball if they could. They love it just like all the rest of us. So that's the really significant. And then there's a couple quotes by the detainees as far as how they feel it impacts them. One of the guys said, it, it relieves our stress. We get out there and we don't have to think about our situation. It gives us a chance to be more normal. But the most important part of that entire piece is said by Clarence. And there's a picture that when if you read the piece, you'll see me sitting on the, uh, the bench with Clarence. And as that picture was taken, he's pointing out to the courts. And he's saying, Roger, look out there on the courts. You have opposite gang members. Before pickleball, they wouldn't, some of them wouldn't even talk to each other. Now look at them. They're not only playing together, they're laughing together. That's incredible. There's 57 major gangs in Chicago. They have over 100,000 members. They outnumber the cops 10 to 1. And they're very much at each other's throats as far as the territory and retaliation of crime. And how wonderful that these guys would come together over any activity like pickleball and talk to each other. I gave a speech last week, and part of what I said when I was talking about this is when our society is so polarized right now, and a corporation might have sensitivity training on a given topic, and it doesn't matter what the topic is, but you're going to have people that believe in it and people that don't. And they'll come together for a period of time and everybody knows to say the right thing. And maybe at the end of the day, you've moved the needle a little bit. Let's hope so. You contrast that with two groups of people that forever, for whatever reason, will not talk to each other. They come together over an activity. They not only talk together but they laugh together. You just have to believe there's something good that's going to come out of that situation. Very true. Now I'm curious when they have the experience of playing pickleball inside and some of them may be on the inside for quite a while, but do you know of anybody you've taught the game to that's now playing pickleball on the outside? I don't. And part of it is I've been encouraged not to try to form relationships of continue to correspond and that type of thing. So I'm not there for Roger. I, I am there totally, Lynn, to help them and introduce them to something that will help them. I, I don't talk about my grandkids. I don't talk about my knee replacement, any of that stuff. I don't try to form relationships. I don't encourage that. And I've been encouraged not to because you're really dealing with an element of our society that people are trying to change. Many are very charming, but they don't want to change. I, I just, I don't, so I don't maintain relationships other than with the staff and the staff 
there's some very good people that work on the inside, but as you can imagine, there's tremendous turnover. It's a very difficult job to work in a jail or prison. Now, besides Cook County, have you taken your teaching in prisons across the country? Well, what happened after Cook County, I got contacted by Rikers Island. Now, Rikers Island is the jail for New York City. And they have, well, it's varied a little bit since COVID, but probably about 8,000 standing population. They have close to, or at least they did, about 100,000 people that would flow through there every year. And Rikers Island is right off of Manhattan. And there's actually 10 different sites on Rikers Island. You got one for women, one for new arrivals, one for people departing, that type of thing. And and I was there a week. And it's it's the same story. I mean, people just fall in love with pickleball. But I'm not telling you anything that you don't know. I, I guess I'll go right to the bottom line. The deputy commissioner for Rikers Island for the city of, of New York was so impressed when I left with pickleball that he ordered pickleball equipment for all 10 sites on Rikers Island. I certainly hope everybody is putting it to good use. Yeah. After that, I'm from the state of Washington. So I came back here and then I er, to Washington and I taught at three different facilities. I reached out, I was asked to contact or they contacted me, the Department of Corrections for California. And the whole system, frankly, is institutionalized where you have an awful lot of sites around the country say, this is the way we do things. We're not interested in changing. These guys are here to be punished, blah, blah, blah. We have absolutely no interest in something like pickleball. We don't even know what it is, but we tried things like that before. But I've learned if I have the support at the top, then everything falls into place. And what happened is after being contacted by the head of the Department of Corrections for California, and of course there's more prisoners in California than any other place in the country, I went down to a place by the name of Corcoran. Now, you might not recognize that name, but one of the individuals who lived at Corcoran for many years was a guy by the name of Charles Manson. I was there for a week. It went extremely well. The best part is the Department of Corrections Administration in Sacramento says, let's open doors. How about Folsom? How about Pelican Bay, our our only supermax facility in the state? How about San Quentin? All those places were lined up. And at the same time, I was working with a colleague to introduce the game In Colorado, we were going to have the recreational supervisors come in from eight different sites. I was working with another pickleball individual for Massachusetts and then New Hampshire. And I bet you can guess what happened next. COVID. Because of COVID, you know what it did on the outside. Well, it was frankly much worse on the inside. You can't practice social distancing. You got a lot of very macho people that have opinions. They're not going to get shots. And that applies to both not only the inmates, but also the staff. And so they've had just an incredibly challenging time on the inside with COVID. And that, of course, has been a couple of years. Things are just starting to open up 
again, but we're not there yet. What happened was last summer I got, so I mean, that answers your question, but what happened last summer, I got contacted by Bainbridge Island Rotary. And remember that's where Pickleball started. And they said, we're having the founders tournament. Would you come over here and give a speech? And being a former speaker, I said, well, sure, I can put together a speech. And so I did. I thought it was maybe a one and done. And afterwards, what happened was my name started getting passed around. I've spoke to over a dozen different rotary groups and other organizations since that time and basically tell them a little bit about what we're talking about in this podcast. And everybody is, I'm doing two things. I'm educating them about what it's like on the inside and the role that pickleball is playing. But I'm also somewhat of a walking infomercial as far as saying to the audience, hey, what about you? What about you trying pickleball? I bet you can do it. And so that's really the theme of my speech. And that, and that's going really well. And I've got three speeches lined up right now. I have to say, I have so enjoyed having you on the podcast today. You are not only a great speaker, but a great storyteller. So is there anything else that I'm sure you've got lots of stories, but anything else critical that you want to get out here on the podcast? Well, one thing comes to mind that I think all your listeners will find of interest is I mentioned Barney earlier and how I used to go see him. And I remember, I'll tell one quick story about Barney and then I'll go into the, the, the rest of why I mentioned that. One day I go to see Barney and I knock on the door and it's 930. He said, Roger, come in. So I go on in and he says, well, do you want a shot of whiskey or you want a cup of coffee? And I laughed. I said, Barney, it's 930 in the morning. It's 930 in the morning. Before noon, I don't drink coffee. He laughed. I laughed. And we had a glass of orange juice. But I'm going to share one thing that from Barney that I learned. And also, it's I learned from the kids who were playing on the original court. They're all grandparents now, but they all say the same thing. And what Barney told me is, here's how the name of Pickleball came about. Over on Bainbridge Island, you have all these homes on the beach right next to each other. And they were all built in like in the 1920s. Everybody knows everybody else. They wander into one another's house to get a cup of coffee or whatever. First time I was over there, Lynn, somebody said, Roger, if you want privacy, be sure and lock the bathroom door. All right. That's the type of place it is. And so you can imagine what happens about everybody, since everybody knows some, everybody so well, it happens around five o'clock. Frequently, they get together for an adult drink. This particular night, according to Barney, they were at Joel's. And people, they used to call it the game. How about a game tomorrow morning, 10 o'clock? Does that work for everybody? We'll meet at the courts and yeah, that type of thing. Somebody said, hey, we really ought to come up with a name for this sport. And so they batted around some ideas. They called it tennis pong, rally ball. Finally, somebody said, hey, Joe, you got that dog Pickles that grabs a ball, runs off the courts under the bushes. We got to get our hands and knees to get it. It's actually Pickles ball. So let's just call it Pickleball. And somebody else responded, hey, that's great. That's it. Let's have another drink. 
So according to Barney, that's the way the game went down. And Bill Bell, by the way, had another dog by the name of Lulu who did the same thing. And we're really glad it's not called Lulu Ball. But I said to Barney, I said, well, how did this dual idea of it's named after these boats? And he says, here's what happened, Roger. He says, Joe was elected to Congress in 1972. So they went back there. He's married to Joanne. And she didn't, it, it just didn't work for her. So in, I think it's 1974 that they got a divorce. Okay, so at that time, there was no question about where the name came from, whatever. Now, in 1997, that same year that Joel died, Joanne said to the press, she said, people think the name was named after a dog. It really wasn't. It was named after a group of boats where they take different parts together and form a boat. And... It's called a pickle boat. And by the way, I'm the one, I'm the one that named the game. The press picked the story up. They said, well, this has to come from, this has to be accurate. I mean, she was married to Joe at the time. And so since it got picked up, then it got on the internet. And now it's real common. You hear both stories out there. And Barney told me, he said, Roger, since 1997, once a week, I'm asked about where that name came from, and I'm sick and tired of telling everybody exactly what happened. So Barney told me that, and I'm sharing it with you and your listeners today. I think you'll find it of interest. Absolutely. I am so glad you told that story. And it's great to hear because there is a lot of controversy around where the name came from. And I love being able to attribute it to the name of the dog. Yeah. Well, and I've taught over a thousand people the game because I teach it, like I said, at various places and high end destination uh, health resort to the, the local community center. But what's very interesting is that the topic comes up from time to time. And one thing I've learned is whatever people, here first, they're convinced that that's the right story. But I've talked to, again, not only Barney, but also the kids that were playing on the original court. And like I said, their grandparents and some of them were over the Christmas season. And they all say the same thing. All right. That's probably a good place to end the, the, the recording, huh? <laughs> yeah. Like I said, it's been so great to have you on today. I just appreciate you doing so much for the game and sharing history. So if somebody does want to get in touch with you and not necessarily to talk about where the name of the game came from, but everything else, where's the best place to reach out? Great. Thank you for suggesting that email works best. And my email address is Air with two R's on it at Gmail. So it's B-E-L. A-I-R-R at gmail.com. Awesome. Well, again, Roger, it was great to have you on the podcast. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Pickleball Fire podcast. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to give it a five-star review on Apple iTunes. 